0: Hello and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teens at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren
1: and I'm Julia. Hey, Joel. Oh, uh, we got a got a nice callback in the yeah. in the intro here.
0: I did do a fun little callback. Do you know, do you want to know why I did that fun little callback? Please Julia? enlighten everybody. Um, because we have a reoccurring guest, a returning guest today that we are very excited about,
2: Eric C. Eric. Hello.
0: Welcome. Thank you for coming. Welcome back. We're so happy to see you.
2: so nice to see the both of you. Um, And I'm thinking now that, you know, probably there are some places that still do pub trivia, and they're most likely crazy teens that are at (laughs) that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's probably the case. So it just, it continues to be, you know, the 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 intro continues to evolve, but
1: also be you know there's a kernel of truth.
0: You know what I'm saying? So I really, really feel like really we want
1: everybody to think right off the bat. Yeah, you know, start yeah a little bit of introspection, get into the right mindset. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> That's how this Eric works. was on our Team at Geek Bowl in Chicago when we it were was all so at much fun America's so last public gathering. Mm-hmm. It was it it was so much fun. We um, had an
0: amazing time.
1: And you were probably, you were one of the last people that we hugged before, before uh, you this know all, what? yep. Yes, <laughs> you were the last people that I hugged as well and
2: shared a meal in a restaurant with. We had right? dim sum, we yeah. went to Portillo's, we picking... had that chocolate milkshake, that yes. chocolate cake milkshake. As Lauren lovingly described it, the drink you chew <laughs> <Yes>. is lovely. <laughs>
0: was a drink that you chew yeah we really had a wonderful multi-sensory experience in chicago with you eric and i'm so glad that that is one of our last memories of the before times Exactly. So.
2: Me too. so good times
0: oh my goodness well we are very excited to have you uh talk to us about something eric please tell us what you're going to t- talk
2: to us about today we're going to do more math i can
1: have favorite topic woo! everybody's least best category on learned league i will tell you
0: eric that my parents usually are very critical of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) they will say to me like i'll be like oh did you want did you listen to this week's podcast they'll go we want we listened to a little bit of it it was you know what wasn't your best you swore a little Uh, too much I, you swore too much. They get I give that. But your episode was like stars, stars, 10 stars across the board.
2: Oh, they loved
0: hello. Eric's episode. Loved it. H-
2: hello, Dave Tag. Dave Tag. Yeah. Right.
0: So <laughs> yes. Yep. You got it right. Don't worry. Dave and Nancy. Yeah, they loved your episode.
2: Oh, so. hello. Hello, parents. <laughs> but
0: yeah, math. Everybody needs it. There's always a question about it. So yes, For of sure. course. We're excited.
2: Yeah. Before I start, I did want to thank Bailey, who also did a math episode, which was a primo episode as well, and continuing the math legacy. And then you also had tangential math eps, like the moon. There was a lot of math in the moon episode, a lot of math in the cards episode. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So much math. So much math. Are you proud of Math everywhere. (laughs) I am so proud. I was proud of you before. Thank you, Eric. That's so kind. Um, So just to frame... Today, uh, Mm -hmm. back when I was on in last year, 2019, remember 2019? (laughs) I know, barely. Um, So the American curriculum has five strands of mathematics, number and operations, geometry, measurement, algebra, data analysis, and probability. And so we did numbers where we talked about the history of some numbers in a Greek cult. We did Mm -hmm. some geometry. We did some calculus and talked about, you know, the calculus wars, Leibniz v. Mm -hmm. Newton. So now for today, I wanted to talk about the other strand. So we're going to do algebra, measurement, and probability. And then we're going to end it with America's favorite segment, A Mathematician You Should Know.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right up our
2: alley. Before I start, um, I had a question for the both of you. Um, Did you have a favorite math teacher? And why were they your favorite math teacher?
1: Oh, goodness. (laughs) I had and you
2: can say there was none.
0: <laughs> I had two favorite math teachers, and their names escape me at the moment, um, because once I left high school, I kicked a lot of information out of my head. But I had one that taught us about um, probability, and I enjoyed, like I liked that part. And I had another teacher who smelled like cinnamon, and he was very warm and lovely, and he taught us calculus, um, which I was not good at, but. Uh, he was a very kind person until he got busted for throwing a math book at a student the year after I graduated and he got fired. Oh. So that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, do you have a favorite math teacher?
1: I mean, I don't think I could top that. But yeah, I also had a good probability and statistics teacher in in high school, too. Like that was like I took a math elective my senior year of high school because I wanted to take like another art class. And they were like, nah, that won't fit on your schedule. Here's have some more math. I was like, what?
0: Yeah, that's not fair.
1: But I did it.
2: Uh, Well, at least you had one. And I'm happy for that. Math teachers, not usually the, you know, the ones you, that stick out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're going to start today with algebra. And I'm going to throw another question to you. How would you define algebra? Uh,
1: m- math with letters. Okay. Yes. Very good. I would agree.
2: Yes, exactly. So we think it uh, there's, you know, it's when we stop using numbers and we start adding letters. Mm-hmm. And so one of the definitions we use that that uh sort of promotes why we use letters is we use these letters to understand patterns and relations to represent ideas and to think about the numbers in a problem so you know it's like you have your watermelons and oranges and Mm -hmm. is watermelon you know Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. one way um but we will talk about what algebra means in a higher mathematical context towards the end of this little part but mm. I did want to start is where we got the concept of algebra, and knowing the origin of the name algebra gives us some ideas. And for this, we have to go to the Middle East mm-hmm. and a dude named Al-Khwarizmi. And by the way, I will most likely butcher names, mm-hmm. um, so I apologize. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so Al-Khwarizmi. We don't know a lot about his life. We don't. He, we know one thing. So my metaphor for this is he was like. Dating myself, he has a live journal account, but no entries. You <laughs> okay, <know. laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So we know he existed, we know he had friends, but we don't know a lot about him. Mm. So mm-hmm. Al Rizmi was this, uh, his scholar, and uh, uh, to understand what was happening at the time, uh, there was a caliph um, who was the ruler of this area. Mm-hmm. He died, he had two sons, one son killed the other, and mm. this dude became, you know, the new caliph. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to continue his father's legacy, which was to revitalize the knowledge base that they were building. So the some things that he did. He set up observatories where Muslim astronomers could build on knowledge acquired by earlier peoples. He built a library of manuscripts, which was the first major library after the Great Library of Alexandria. Oh, hell yeah. The most cool. important, yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, most importantly, he started something called the House of Wisdom, where Greek and philosophical scientific works were translated. And Al khwarizmi was a scholar in the House of Wisdom. Mm. Wow. In this house, he wrote a book. Now I'm going to use Google Translate to say the name of the book because I don't want to butcher it. So here we go. This is it. <laughs> That's the name of the book. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was not going to try to to pronounce that.
0: It's so many all. characters. Yeah. Good of you to just just go straight to Google Translate and be like, you know what? She can do this. Google Translate robot can do this better than I can. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: So, if your ears are astute, which, I mean, I don't speak Arabic, so I would not have caught this. But at some point, uh, in the name of the book was the word algebra. Okay. Mm. So we're going to talk about why what what this book is. So notably, there were no symbols used in the text, so no letters like we know algebra today. Mm-hmm. And this was a big deal for historians because they thought that Al-Khwarizmi copied Euclid of mm. geometry fame mm-hmm. because when he wrote Elements, he didn't have symbols as well. So they were like, "Oh, maybe he just copied stuff from Euclid." And so what they noticed though is. There were subtle differences in the style of writing that they was like, oh, it's this is Euclidean. It's unique to him. This is Alhoris That's unique to him. You
3: know, Mm -hmm. like,
2: you know, like, you know, like Bob Ross, like, I mean, Lauren, this is your area. I I assume like (laughs) painters have like certain styles and you so like, oh, there's a lot of phthalo blue in this. That's a Bob Ross.
0: Exactly. That's uh, it's called connoisseurship in uh, art historical terms. So, yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay. Work. Oh, connoisseurship. All right. Noting
1: that for Sofia, <laughs> sorry, I had to pop open my PBR hard coffee. <laughs> okay, work.
0: Yeah, our our October Octo- yeah. not an ad. <laughs> yeah. Guesttober is not sponsored by PBR coffee, but should be because Julia is drinking her metric weight in it.
1: <laughs> PBR hard coffee for people who want to drink alcohol but also stay awake. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, I have, a, I have water and uh, uh, cheese curds, which I got from the <laughs> farmer's market today because we didn't have curd to us this year. So, you know, um, whatever. That's sad. okay. Yeah. I mean, it's what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's okay. Dairy will always be here. Um, okay. So why was this hailed as the beginning of algebra? So um, there are things called quadratic equations and a lot of word problems yielded quadratic equations. Question for the both of you. What is a quadratic equation? Julia looked especially angry, so I
0: think she knows. <laughs> oh,
1: I know what the quadratic equation is.
2: Okay,
0: work. But
1: I can't. I, don't, I can recognize it. I can't. There's you can't, a line. You can just recognize it. it. There's like a square root symbol and an equal sign. <laughs> There's an A squared and a B squared. Square root then- of A squared plus B squared over something else, right?
2: No. No. <laughs> No, I don't mean to deny your thought, but no,
0: <laughs> no, no. And math is one of those things where there is definitely like a real answer. So please tell us what. Uh, uh, well,
2: no, but you've described it very well. There is a fraction, there is a square root, but there uh, there is a, a particular feature of a quadratic equation, which is that squared, the power of two, mm. um, because it's called quadratic because you know it's like square meters, and we do this in terms of uh, uh, a square meter is a square. That's mm-hmm, how we measure mm-hmm. things. So that's why it's a quadratic, even though it's a two. Anyways, okay, I see. Logic. Okay. Um, so as you can probably imagine, there are infinitely many quadratic equations. So we did some of that in high school. We don't remember a lot of them, but no. we, we <laughs> blocked them out for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> so what did al khwarizmi do? So al khwarizmi was able to describe six equations, which you can think of them as templates. So whatever quadratic equation you had, you do this stuff to it, and then it will fit one of these six templates. And then he tells you what to do with these six templates, like how to answer them and whatnot. Um, So the way you get it from any quadratic equation into six templates is called completion and balancing. Uh, which is part of the en- sorry the the name of the book in English is the Compendious Book on Calculation by Completion and Balancing, and mm-hmm. so you remember the stuff that we used to do. It's like carry this three to the mm-hmm. other side. The positive becomes a negative. Divide both sides. Blah, 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 blah. So all of these uh, uh, procedures was described in this book. Algebra. Oh okay. Yeah. What's interesting is the purpose of this book. So the purpose of this particular book was, quote, such as men constantly require in cases of inheritance, legacies, partition, lawsuits, and trade, and in all their dealings with one another, or where the measurements of lands, the digging of canals, geometrical computations, and other objects of various sorts and kinds are concerned. So what this just means is it's rooted in a lot of stuff we they did out in the real world. That's sure, it. sure, yeah. Which is a little different from what we do in school, but we don't have to talk about
1: it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Practical um, applications Exactly, yes.
2: practical applications The reason why this book was really important is The math in this book Was to help um, People divide money Especially under Islamic law mm-hmm. All of the rules Follow I- Islamic rules of inheritance Which requires a lot of algebra So mm-hmm. if you think about it everything al- The algebra you did in high school Was based on practices of the Islamic world
1: That's really really interesting to think about. They don't tell you that. No, they don't.
2: No, they tell you about the white men.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's 100% true. I feel like I would have made, I would have been, I would have paid more attention, I think, if I knew, like, it's rich historical background. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just thinking about, like, this is part of Islamic practices, and we don't think of it that way is is unfortunate. mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, Um, exactly.
2: Do you remember doing anything else in algebra class?
1: (laughs) Besides crying? Hey. Uh,
0: (laughs) uh, Mostly just like, I feel like um, formulas, like just working on formulas. Yeah. From what I remember.
2: Yeah, and sometimes we use the formulas to graph stuff. You remember graphing things (gasps) on a -hmm. a
1: plane? Yeah, Mm -hmm. we had that TI-83 calculator.
2: Yes,
0: she uh, spent a ton of money on.
1: Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We m- made programs in it to like do do our work for us. Oh, yeah.
0: See, I didn't have that. You and Steve are both like, oh, yeah, we used to program. I our used to ti- program TIA my calculator
1: to, to do things for me.
0: I was like, I went to Roy Hart Central School in, you know, Middleport, New York. Like, no one knew how to program nothing. So, I feel like I really missed out.
1: Also, did you have Snake on your calculator? I mean, no, what's Yeah. We had bowling and right? snake and mafia is, and all this great what is stuff. Yes, yeah. rich like... kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all these rich kids with their rich ass calculators. Oh
2: my god! Yeah, I can barely like upload a story to Instagram. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Jeez, um, I'm not that Jeez. old. I was born in 1986. Um, <laughs> so uh, back in Bailey's episode, you talked about the namesake of that the the graph, uh, Rene Descartes. A very mm-hmm. interesting guy. Um, do you know anything else about Rene Descartes outside of math?
1: A philosopher.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, he's he has a particular quote that is tagged with him.
1: Uh, uh, he thinks. Therefore, yeah. he is.
2: He is. Cogita ergo sum. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a little more about Descartes. And then I'm going to say that phrase again. And it, it will change how you think about that phrase now. <gasps> okay. Oh, I can't wait. All right. Picture it. 1635. Francine Descartes was born to Rene and, okay, here we go, Helena Jan Wadestrom. Helena oh. was not his wife. Uh, uh, Francine was born out of wedlock. Thus, Rene called her his niece.
0: Oh, okay. okay. Like as yeah. like a secret thing.
2: Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but Descartes wanted Francine to um, uh, get educated in France. So they, they were on a boat. They moved to France. Unfortunately, Francine developed scarlet fever and passed away. Notably, Mm. Descartes' work philosophical works occurred after her death, especially the philosophical ones. So Mm. things are starting to whatever. (laughs) Okay, so with yeah, I know yeah. With his wit, mathematical mathematical acuity, and he was really good with machines, mechanical prowess. He made a mechanical replica of his daughter. (gasps) (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Whoa, we are getting into some dark. Yeah. shit, my friend. <laughs> this, is,
1: this is like this, this is, is like, this is like Oscar Kokoschka's sex doll.
0: Yes, this is like Oscar Kakashka's sex doll. This is like horror movie level stuff.
2: yeah. and for more other weird automatons, <laughs> you can listen to episode one fifteen Alma Bride of the Wind. Also a great episode oh, by the way.
0: Oh, it's very good.
2: <laughs> when you uploaded the picture of whatever it was, I was like what? All right, I
0: know nightmares. Oh. oh my
2: god, come through Sesame Street. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Rene Descartes had a robot Francine, and oh, no. she would sleep with him in a sort of casket next to his bed. I know. Oh. Where's our PBR? Um. <laughs> this drinking. is like
1: the, this is like the 17th century.
2: Yes. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um, in 1646, Christina of Sweden summoned a cart to her castle and sent a ship for him to do some—I don't know—some work. I don't know. Not 100% sure. Some task rabbit thing. So, as ever, the casket went with him, and at night he would take her out of the casket and talk and wind her up and talk to her.
0: Oh my god! Yeah. This is both heartbreaking and terrifying.
2: It is, it is a little bit, huh? Oh my god! Um, so, on the ship back from Sweden, they encountered bad weather. Oh, no. (laughs) And the crew was getting spooked because they would hear Descartes speak by himself in his cabin. And so, I mean, like, you can produce this scene, you know, it's like that Uh scene in The Little Mermaid right before, you know. So um, they were suspecting some form of witchcraft, which was causing this bad weather. So when Descartes was asleep, they (gasps) broke into his cabin, opened the casket to their horror, found a robot girl... They grabbed her, ran her up the deck, smashed her to pieces, and threw it into the sea.
0: Oh, <laughs> my God. I know. One, <laughs> I, someone had to do it. Two, <laughs> like, talk about insult to injury for this poor man.
2: Right. And so, faced with unbearable grief of losing her a second time, Descartes succumbed to her death shortly after. Here's the quote again. I think, therefore, I am
0: oh my god (laughs) oh my god oh my god that's that's a lot that's a lot to take in Eric I know (laughs) I
2: know I'm sorry
0: (laughs) it's okay you could honestly that's amazing you could end this episode right here we could be like thanks for listening everybody and I think honestly like
1: (sighs) how is how is this not a movie right yeah where's where's our biopics about famous mathematicians huh Yeah. yeah
2: Uh yeah we don't have uh Steve you got Nash? a beautiful, a beautiful mind, mind that's it yeah that's it that's it yeah. he said he said he didn't hallucinate so <laughs> I don't know so I mean like, artistic liberty creatively was, yeah good. exactly yeah exactly uh-huh.
1: yeah we should write a screenplay guys but, let's do it
2: ready let's do it
0: I'm into I'm into it ready? I'm into I'm it gonna, what I'll are we play, doing
2: I'll be robot Francine
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it done okay great write it up
2: I mean. How hard is it to play a robot getting smashed into pieces? Exactly. Um, all right, so back to algebra. So uh, so for higher algebra, the, the idea of algebra shifts a little bit. So think of numbers and think of the things we do with numbers, like adding, subtracting, all this stuff. When we think of higher algebra, toss away the numbers, but keep the rules. Okay. Which is a little okay. weird to think about so for instance um there's a lot of music theory that goes into this and i'll give you an example so you know when we're singing happy birthday to someone and there's usually this one person when happy birthday to like at the end we'll do a mm-hmm. harmony like pretty quickly yeah. you mm-hmm. know there's always that yeah, person. those people yeah um what they're doing is they're transforming the notes from like the melody and they're increasing the steps by a certain number um, to get the the harmony. So mm-hmm. these are people that can usually, like, if you sing something, oh, I can do the harmony. Because what they're doing is they're keeping the rules, such as adding, but they're not doing it to numbers. They're doing it to notes. <gasps> Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yes. that's wild.
2: Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. You can hear it a lot in musicals, um, particularly uh, Claude Schoenberg's work, so Phantom of the Opera, Les mm-hmm. Mis. Um, and what he does in the musicals is actually pretty uh, interesting because he does a transformation and by transformation he lengthens the notes so if it used to be one beat transform it to two beats so such as doubling a number this mm-hmm. is what it is in like music version okay but what he's doing he's putting it in a different context every time so we'll, we're gonna go to Les Mis. so for Les Mis, we all know this song uh well hopefully here we go Me. okay so there's that there's that melody we know that part yes right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay we know the middle part of this song which sounds like this
0: and i know it's only in my mind
2: i talking to myself and not to him okay so what schoenberg does is actually pretty artistic what he does is he puts this melody in the background of a lot of the music so mm-hmm. at the beginning you hear on my own in the background of uh, jean valjean's first song so what i'm going to do is i'm going to play it and then don't listen to valjean listen to the music behind and think of that middle part like and i know it's only in my mind so here we go
0: I breathe again
3: And the sky clears The world is waking.
2: And then he goes into the On My Own Drink from the pool How clean the taste Never forget the years, the waste So you're introduced to the song On My Own pretty early on And it's repeated throughout the musical
0: so That's the, amazing
2: Yeah <laughs> Which is sort of a mathematical transformation. He's changing a lot of the stuff, but mm-hmm. it's still preserved. He's doing algebraic transformations to this melody, and so when uh, so this song is like really like uh, how would you describe it? it's like his like like uh, wanting. It's a wanting feeling, like an optimistic vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The next time we hear this melody is when Fantine dies. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Take my hand the night grows ever
2: colder so which is interesting because you go from this optimistic vibe to this sad vibe of death so when you get to the on my own there Mm -hmm. is a marriage of those two feelings that longing for Mm. this for this man but also i can't have him what was amazing uh, What was the? I have the lyrics here. What was it? Uh, 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 Without me, his world will keep on turning. Longingness, Mm. but sadness at the same time. So he's being very artistic. You hear it again at the end of the musical when Valjean dies. Mm -hmm.
1: So your brain is already like conditioned to to feel these feelings, and then you end up feeling Mm -hmm. different things based on the pitch or the the speed or
2: yeah so like at some point uh, so when Fantine dies it's slow it's sad that's the algebraic transformation so yeah you're conditioned to hear the song so that's why when you hear On My Own in the second act you're like this sounds familiar and it sounds really good Mm -hmm. so it's where like music and math mix pretty well and uh, you know if you listen to Phantom he does the same uh, he does the same thing as well the Masquerade song yeah Yeah. okay anyways that was cool I love it yeah yeah so if you listen carefully, it's pretty tight. Anyways, so that's uh, that's what we have for algebra today. Mm. Okay. We'll go on to our second uh, topic of measurement. And I wanted to talk about why in the world is the U.S. one of the only three countries that doesn't use the metric system.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly.
2: Question, what are the other two countries that uses the metric system?
1: That don't use Julia. the metric system? Liberia and... Mm-hmm. So, Singapore? So, oh man ha- Lauren, help me out I, I was it's sure somewhere you with, know those And that's why I didn't It's somewhere in Southeast Asia for some reason Laos? Yep.
2: It is in Southeast Asia, in- Myanmar
1: Myanmar, Myanmar. Uh, yep. always I always forget Burma about Myanmar <laughs>
2: Yeah um, So we're going to take a look at why America insists On not using the metric system And I'm, I'm going to give you the top line answer right now American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Someone had to say it. <laughs> so when they wrote the Constitution, they gave Congress the right to regulate weights and measures. So during the first Congress of the U.S. in 1789, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson drew up a plan for measures. He instituted a metric system for money, so which is why we use, like, the base 10, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. rejected the metric system in general because it was, quote, too French. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that sounds right. He they really hated the, the French. French. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he liked their wine, but no one loved the French as much as uh, Ben Franklin. Uh, or Ben Franklin. Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. He's I watched Sam. Right yeah, Superman. I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he said like uh, the meter is to measure French things, not American things.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. so. That sounds American. So this is all Thomas Jefferson's fault.
2: <laughs> uh. uh most of them. So John Quincy Adams, for his part, couldn't recommend that the US adopt the metric system either because this was a system that nearly vanished after the demise of the French Empire. So it was like, oh, they used something and then they, they didn't it didn't work out, so we're not gonna use it either. Jeez. So so as you can imagine, like so if we're not using the metric system, what in the hell are we using? Yeah. So because of American exceptionalism and states' rights, every state Had the ability to define their own weights and measures. Uh oh. So I'm gonna share with you an image of what this looks like. Here we go, hold on. So this is a table of what it means to be a bushel. Oh my God, no. It's It's different in every state. It's oh different God. in every state and depending on what you're measuring. <gasps> yeah. So let's take uh, what do we have? Buckwheat. A bushel of buckwheat. In New York, it's 48 pounds. In Indiana, it's 50 pounds. In Wisconsin, 42 pounds. Iowa, 52 pounds. Vermont, 46 pounds.
1: No wonder so we don't know not...
2: what
0: a
1: bushel is.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I bet that that came up like a lot of people, um, and I w- it probably died off. But like that woman's, you know, dumber than a New York bushel. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> he's flatter than a Kentucky inch. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, <I> d- <laughs> a Kentucky inch, right? Like that probably was a thing at some point.
2: Oh my god. Uh... <laughs> Coined it, drag queen name, Kentucky Yes. <laughs>
0: That's very good. That's very good.
2: Yeah. Okay. July 1866. The Metric Act was passed by the Senate. This law was intended to authorize the use of the metric system of weights and measures, and mm. it was signed by then-President Andrew Johnson. It con- It provided a table of standardized measurements to convert between the metric and whatever system America was using at that time. Now, they were iffy still about using the metric system. In Latin America, they were slowly becoming metric and they were seeing what happens when you convert to metric. Such as in Brazil, there was the Quebra Quilos Revolt, literally translated as the revolt of the kilogram breakers. It was a three-month-long revolt in opposition to transitioning to the metric system.
0: Oh my God.
2: That's wild. Well, I, th- I for my understanding, it's because there was a lot of implication for taxes. You know, when you measure things in different ways, then oh. you might be paying more for something that you didn't mm. use to pay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, uh, listen, again, born in 1986, I don't know how to budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, So back in the U.S., the U.S. was still trading internationally, and they acknowledged the metric system, but refused to use it uh, within the United States. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Coming to the 20th century, people testified to Congress. It's like, we need the metric system. Alexander Graham Bell had a speech, and it has a lot of math. If you want to look up for his speech convincing Congress to use the metric system and want to learn math, read it. But I will read you a short quote from it. So, quote. We simply have to be—again, this is about the metric system, which is a little funny, but, you know, also not. We have to be bold (laughs) enough to take the step all the difficulties lie in the transition period. All the difficulties in the metric system are in transitioning from one system to the other. But the moment you use the metric system alone, I do not anticipate any difficulty in the use. And if the government will lead the way, the change must and will come, and we will be brought into line with the progressive nations of the world instead of lagging behind." (laughs) Which you...
1: Yeah, so he's like, yeah, it'll be a pain at first, but then everything will be a lot easier.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And using a centimeter progressive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. <sighs> Listen. But it's it's just funny because you can use that <laughs> paragraph and put it into any political speech <laughs> now. And yeah. Like, Literally. Yup, yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> hmm. Hmm.
3: Um.
2: But after everyone testified, Congress still believed that the U.S. should be a leader, not a follower. Mm. The Metric Course. Conversion Act in 1975 stated that the conversion would be completely voluntary. But because of this, they instituted the United States Metric Board, which is a United States government agency that encouraged metrification. And seven years later, Reagan abolished this, uh, oh, this agency. Mm-hmm. So we've tried, like, people have tried to make American metric, but for some reason, oh, no, because of American exceptionalism, no mm-hmm. bueno. Yeah. For more information, you can visit the U.S. Metric Association, a national nonprofit organization founded in 1916. For $30 a year, you can become a member and get a copy of Metric Today, which is released six times a year.
0: What? What do they have to talk about six times a year? Hey, guess what, guys? Still using the metric system, still trying to get it through. Why Keep it?
1: doing what you're doing. Why isn't it released ten times a year? <laughs> They really missed they really missed an opportunity. It's very confusing.
0: Oh <laughs> it's very confusing. It's
2: only $3. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, uh, you're right. That's okay. Uh we,
0: uh we at misinformation encourage you to join the <laughs> the National Metric Board. I forgot the name already. The <laughs> exactly. National Metric Association. Get your newsletter today. 30 bucks a year, everybody.
2: Yeah. Support support the movement, support, support progressive. Um, yep. Okay. Support progressive, not the company. Okay. (laughs) Um, before we end, um, measurement, um, there is one tidbit that I found very interesting when you study measurement in higher mathematics. And I'm going to thank my boys, Alex, Andrew, and Jonathan, who told me about this theorem that I had no idea about. Okay, Hmm. here we go. I want you to think of all the numbers between zero and one. All the decimals in the world, there are infinitely many decimals. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Say you were to choose a number at random from all of the numbers between 0 and 1. What is the probability that you would choose
1: 0.5? Oh, would it be pretty high? Would the probability be high? <laughs> I'm like looking for affirmation. <laughs>
2: I don't know do this uh, again, but no.
1: No. <laughs> no.
2: So, the probability that you choose a number between 0 and 1 and choosing point 0.5, the probability of choosing point 0.5 is 0.
1: Oh. <gasps> what?
2: Right. It's counterintuitive. Why? It's like, wait, how? So, this is this is the way that was explained to me. So, think of that interval from 0 to 1. Mhm. And uh uh Instead of like um, uh, infinitely many numbers in between, say that we're exactly 10 numbers in between this interval. Mm -hmm. So there's a one out of 10 chance that I could randomly pick a number that's in my head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? That's one out of 10. Now divide that interval again into uh, 20. It's now one out of 20.
1: Okay. Uh Keep
2: on dividing. 100. It's one out of 100. If Mm -hmm. you keep on doing this, one over, and that denominator keeps on getting bigger, one over a bazillion, bazillion, bazillion. And then you keep on going. But because of calculus, at some point, that number is going to be so small, it's zero.
0: Oh, my God.
3: Yeah.
2: What?
0: I feel like I'm staring into the night sky and realizing how small I am. This is, a, I'm having an existential breakdown from
1: this. What?
2: Well, I appreciate it. Not a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wow. I thought we were going to do a magic amazing. trick where Eric read our minds what number we picked. <laughs> oh, your <wait. laughs> one?
2: Your number is blue. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's measurement. That's measure theory. And that was measurement. Okay, oh, my what God. A treat. Wow. Yeah. I
1: feel like we most encounter the, the fact that there is a weights and measures... Um, agency when we go to the gas station and you see like a yes. little sticker mm. on the pump that's like this mm-hmm. has been certified by the weights and measures and i feel like i feel like i don't get that confirmation from from anywhere else other than the literally gas station. anywhere else <laughs> yeah, yeah
2: i mean america's broken in a lot of different <laughs> yeah. ways but also because of the metric system yeah um, all right the last topic work and we're going to spend a little of time on this because you said you had a great probability teacher. We're going to spend a lot of time on Uh-oh. data statistics and probability. We are going to talk about the Monty Hall problem. Have yes. you heard of this? Yes, Laura
0: Julie knows, knows it. Now. Talking
1: about this. Yeah. Okay.
2: Okay, work. Tell me more.
1: So, it's, um go ahead, Joel. Yeah. Um so in, a couple episodes ago um when I did the episode on feminist literature which was the problem that had no name um my quiz was on some problems that do have names so we picked some um some famous mathematical and like philosophical problems and um the Monty Hall problem was one of them
0: Yeah Yeah and uh, the Monty Hall problem is like if you choose if they're from an an option of 3 doors If you choose one and he opens it up and it's a goat and asks you, do you want to stick with the second one that you chose or do you want to change? Mm -hmm. That you You always say change. You should always change, even though it feels counterintuitive.
2: Yes. Yes. So the Monty Hall problem was named after Monty Hall, the host of an American TV program called Let's Make a Deal, which aired from 84 to 86. Um, The problem was originally posed and solved in a letter by Steve Selvin to the American Statistician in 1975. So it the the problem mostly stayed within academic circles.
1: Okay. Um,
2: and you've like precisely described the problem. Um, Great. Do do you uh, do you know why you have to switch? No. No.
1: No, so you we don't. A one and in the- three chance of getting the car and a two in three chance of getting a goat. And they right. show you that one of the things you didn't choose is a goat. So now you have a one in two chance of getting the car or the goat, but your choice is wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but your first choice is always wrong or probably wrong.
2: Okay, so here's a here's one of the. The, I would call it, I'm going to call it the qualitative, like the feel way to Mm. answer this. Okay. So instead of three doors, think of a hundred doors. Okay. Okay. So you pick one, you know, door at random and there's a one out of a hundred chance that you picked the door with a car. Okay. And then Monty opens 98 of the other doors and they're all goats, but (laughs) mysteriously leaves that one door closed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you go, and he goes like, do you want to switch? And so like it just feels like all of the probability just went into that single door. It's like why didn't you open that door? The car Ooh. must be in that one. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay.
0: actually that makes a lot of sense. So it's some reverse
1: psychology stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's
2: this really like again if you would like to read mathematical theorems, it's it's there's a really uh, nice way to describe it, but this is the the strategy i like to think about because you just feel like why didn't you open that one door with a yeah. hundred it's 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 there it has to be there you didn't open it mm-hmm. i think i did open with a midwestern accent again i saw listen <laughs> it's all right it's
0: all right i'm gonna throw, you know the, what? I'm gonna throw the curds
2: <laughs> <to> the <side. laughs> throw
0: the curds away they're influencing you <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> open okay <laughs>
2: Okay, so it became famous to the general public as a question from a reader letter quoted in Marilyn Vosavant's column, Ask Marilyn, in Parade Magazine in 1990. Have you heard of Marilyn?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. We used to read her I column used- in every Parade Magazine every on Sundays. Every Parade <laughs> Magazine on
0: Sunday. Yep, me too. Our family too.
2: Oh, we're, I was a Disney Adventures kid, so I did not <laughs> read Parade. Like
1: I didn't read Parade magazine in the in the no, newspaper. That's am not a sixty two
0: year old lady. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but what I wanted to talk about um, what happened when she published this uh, this column, also entitled by historians as the Great Mansplain, and by historian I mean me, um, Marilyn. Va- Marilyn Vosavant was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1946 at the age of 10 she was given two intelligence tests to, mentor, to measure her mental capacity and found that when she was 10 she had the mental capacity of a 23 year old oh my god pretty smart like I, again I don't want to take any of these tests I don't know what I don't no, want to know I don't that. want to know <laughs> hmm. Um, she went on to be listed in the Guinness World Book of Records for having the world's highest IQ, and she gained international fame. But Marilyn knew that intelligence tests weren't really meant to capture intelligence, and she knew that, so rejected this. She rejected this label.
1: Okay. Um, Mm. and
2: as we know today, uh, uh, a lot of our intelligence tests are, have a lot of racist and sexist undertones to Mm -hmm. them. In in other words, Mm -hmm. they privilege a certain way of living for you to answer these questions. Sure, yeah. She moved to New York City to become a writer. She got hired by Parade Magazine, and she collected letters about logic puzzles, uh, which was different from a lot of the female columnists at the time who were writing about relationships. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. And she correctly explained the Monty Hall problem in her column, and she got a lot of flack from it. So remember that the Monty Hall problem, it was not a new problem. It was solved in academic circles way before, but she published it to like a general public, uh, for the general public. Um, Marilyn says that she received more than 10,000 letters claiming her incompetence and close to 1,000 carrying signatures with PhDs and letterheads of mathematics and science departments.
0: Oh my God. What?
2: Yeah. And I have some choice letters that were published. (laughs) All right. This is from a PhD from the University of Florida. You blew it big. Since you have... Since you seem to have difficulty grasping the basic principle at work here, I'll explain. (laughs) After the host reveals the goat, you now have a one in two chance of being correct. Whether you change your selection or not, the odds are the same. There is enough mathematical illiteracy in this country, and we don't need the world's highest IQ propagating more. Shame. (gasps) Letter number two from a PhD from the U.S. Army Research Institute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You made a mistake, but look on the positive side. If all the, those PhDs were wrong, the country would be in very serious trouble. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. A gentleman from Sun River, Oregon. Maybe women look at math problems differently than men.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope she published their names and their home addresses. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Well, could you imagine if she had Twitter? Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> People would just absolutely excoriate her. Yeah. yeah. Mm hmm. So with outrage, she continued to explain her ideas in subsequent columns, and even with mm-hmm. her well-stated explanation, she was still questioned. As one man wrote, even a year after the original column, quote, I oh still gosh. think you're wrong. There is such a thing as female logic.
3: <sighs>
0: <laughs> oh my god. Also, like, hey, get a hobby, my good <laughs> dude. Like, what you're writing a year after this problem was published? Like, maybe... Subscribe to some other newspapers and cool off. Jeez. The,
2: the US metric board publishes six times a year. Read that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right like, to read them. that, please.
2: Um, Marilyn still writes puzzles for Parade Magazine today.
1: Oh, good and for her, Marilyn. And that's her real last name. Foss Savant. It's not like a pen name. Oh, because of like Savant? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. What a... That's a jackpot. That's cool. I like that. I didn't know that. Um... Yeah. So that's it for probability. Um, Before we go on to the mathematician, you should know, I put this in because I think it's a little timely for what's happening today. And this is is my area of expertise, which is math education. And I wanted to talk about new math. Have you heard of new math?
1: Yes. Heard Mm -hmm. people complain about new math.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the role of math in schools has long been debated. So overall, we were juggling between two things. One, Math should equip us with everyday knowledge. How to do taxes, what it means to make an investment, how to read a graph, all of Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. stuff. But on the other hand, people are like, no, people need higher level mathematics because that's where you learned rigorous thinking, problem solving, all of this other stuff that comes along with higher mathematics. So Mm -hmm. we still have this to this day. So the Great Depression brought on a math curriculum that was marked by social topics such as balancing an income sure Uh, and this makes sense because the point of getting an education wasn't to go to college at this time this Mm -hmm. was so i go to school and i go out and i can make money and know what to do with it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly born in 1986 this means nothing to me so (laughs) you know and everyone for the most part was fine with this mathematics curriculum um but there were a lot of inequities that made this math curriculum you know not the best so this was a before Brown v. Board of Education, so there were still segregated schools, and men and women were largely educated separately. And mm-hmm. a lot of the psychologists at the time wanted, loved this structure. As G. Stanley Hall, an American psychologist, said during an address to the National Educational Association, quote, "'Men and women differ. Girls preponderate in high school, Latin and English, and history from their inner inclination. The first <laughs> danger to a woman is over work." It affects oh the part of her organism which is sacred to heredity.
3: What?
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, what a, a, what your a brain out because your you won't work anymore.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> your your ute will shrivel up and die if you think too hard, woman.
1: It'll float around <laughs> your body and you'll be make you crazy. <laughs> So you can imagine, oh this God. was
2: like, if, if uh, men and women were educated separately and white Americans were educated separately for the rest of the population, then this everyday math was everyday math for a few people, not for yeah. everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there was that. And then World War II happened, specifically mm-hmm. the launch of Sputnik, indicating that the U.S. lost the space race. Thus, this everyday math curriculum wasn't working. They needed scientists. They needed military math and quick.
3: Mm-hmm, so new mm-hmm. math
2: was born. And one of the key ideas was from Jerome Bruner, another psychologist, where he said, and I don't, I don't agree with this, but he said, any subject can be taught effectively in some intellectually honest form to any child at any stage of development. Wow. Which I'm like, listen, we're not going to teach Eleanor rocket science. I mean, she may yeah. learn it later on, but at the moment, you know.
1: Yeah, let's work six. on our colors first. Yeah, yeah <laughs> colors once. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Quantum physics a little later on. Um, So they developed this new math curriculum, uh, thinking that kids can learn abstract math at any stage of development. So students were engaging in abstract concepts, structures, and reasoning of pure mathematics, such as doing arithmetic in different bases, like what we talked about last time. So they were doing arithmetic (sighs) in base eight because it helped. I don't know. I don't know where it helps out in the real world, but they said this is important. They learned set theory, union, intersection, complement very early on in their educational career. Wild. Um, and as you said, new math didn't work because <laughs> parents couldn't help them. They were educated differently. Yeah. Teachers yeah. couldn't help them. They were educated differently. So overall, new math was deemed a failure. But hmm. the, the one thing I wanted to underscore is that um, our math curriculum in schools had to shift based on what was happening in the world today. <laughs> Such as today <laughs> we have the Common Core, <laughs> BTW. <laughs> Common Core is not a teaching technique tweet me. It is not a teaching technique, um, as a lot of people say. Um, It's a response to the mobility of of Americans in this day and age. Like we have people moving states. So you want to make Mm -hmm. sure that if you bring your fourth grader from Rochester, New York to, uh, uh, you know, uh, why can't I think of any other place? Uh, Madison, (laughs) Wisconsin, that Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that they're studying the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what Common Core was. Now, there is a little dicey stuff about funding and testing Mm -hmm. we don't have to get into that but um common core was a reaction to what was happening in the world and i wanted to bring this up today because today our schools are reckoning with with what to teach especially in math so in other words did your math instruction help you understand a pandemic did it help you understand systemic racism and Mm. i don't think it is so it'll Mm -hmm. be interesting to see how the curriculum reacts and there's this um There's this curriculum in the Seattle Public Schools, which was proposed last year. So you know how I said there were strands of mathematics, number, algebra, Mm da-da-da-da. The strands in the Seattle Public Schools are, there are four of them, origins, identity, and agency, power and oppression, resistance and liberation, reflection and action. And think of a math class where those are the themes as math. Wow.
1: Wow. And not like history or like sociology, like mm -hmm, your math class.
2: Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see what it's going to look like in, like, 10 years. Wow. Yeah, and If exactly. we're going to change. It, yeah,
0: know. and it certainly sounds like there's going to be more involved with those those kind of, like, topics or, I guess, like, sections of math where it's not just going to be like, okay, this is how you add, this is how you subtract. Like, you know, it's not just, like, n- numbers in a vacuum and, like, yeah. this is why we do this because I told you to. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I, to understand you know where this stuff comes from in a historical sense and how we can apply it in a practical way in our lives and maybe in like a future you know a child's future you know interests in college or even like a a job is interesting how like math is like woven into a lot more places than just like only math class and then you when you leave you don't have to think about it again kind of thing.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, like, yeah. when we talk, you say, like, oh, this disproportionately affects. It's like, what does it mean to disproportionately affect something? That's mm-hmm. mathematics. Wow. It's yeah. an exponential growth. Flatten the curve. What are we talking about here? What do you mean? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting.
0: Wow. That's cool.
2: Okay. Eleanor, get ready. It's going to be fun.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
2: Okay. So, oh, we're going to end today with a mathematician you should know. Her name is Angie Turner King. And a quick note on the mathematician today, which is a similar note from the last episode that uh, we were talking about a mathematician. So there have been a lot of minoritized mathematicians who have led unproblematic lives, not to say they didn't face adversity. Um, They went to school, they got degrees, and then their life didn't play out like a movie. Mm -hmm, And I know mm -hmm. telling these stories, these coming out of squalor stories are dangerous, especially if you essentialize someone's experience. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes they're used to empower people, which is great. But my goal of telling such stories is for people in power to understand that you, because it was unproblematic for you, there are other factors at play that you should be attuned to, especially if you're making decisions for something. Sure. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. just a caveat. Okay. Angie Lena Turner was born in West Virginia in 1905 in a coal mining community. She was born to a family of limited means. She was the grandchild of slaves who were given land, a steer, and a log cabin when they were freed. Unfortunately, her mother passed away when she was eight. And mm. for a while, she lived with her grandmother. King described her grandmother as so light-skinned she was almost white. And because mm. her grandmother was called, was known as this, she called her granddaughter, pardon my French, the black bitch. <gasps> oh my yeah. gosh I mean colorism is a thing Oof.
0: wow Yeah. sounds like a great grandma <laughs>
2: <laughs> jeez oh my god where's my apple pie um, additionally she recounted in the winter time when it would snow she would wake up with snow in her bed now listen again we've <laughs> talked about this I snow no no snow in my bed no, burn it off burn, burn it to the ground no no bueno sorry um uh, she said she had it tough, but she, it didn't bother her mind. And so after this, she lived with her father, who couldn't read or write, but was supportive and encouraged her to attend school. She graduated high school at the age of 14. Wow. Good for her. She saved up some money and went to college waiting tables and uh, washing dishes. And she graduated in 1923 from Bluefield Colored Institute, now known as Bluefield State College, where she trained to become a teacher. She then studied chemistry and mathematics, and earned her bachelor of science degree in 1927 from West Virginia State College, now West Virginia State University, a historically black college and university. For more mm. information on HBCUs, listen to episode sixty, College. It's very good. Yeah, it's it's so good. <laughs> Great, I love but that's it. One, That's the one thing I I listened on repeat. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm so glad. She was awarded a master's degree in chemistry and mathematics in 1931, and she gained a teaching position at West Virginia State College, where she focused on getting labs in shape. So the the science labs were not that good. She came in because she wanted to, quote, students would know what a real lab looks like.
3: I mean, Mm -hmm. little Mm -hmm.
2: shade to administration, but, you know, we support her. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, She also taught in the Army Specialized Training Program. This was a military training program uh, by the United States Army during World War II to meet the demands to train officers and soldiers with technical skills. Conducted at 227 universities, West Virginia State College was one of six HBCUs to be included in this list the Army stipulated that military students should be taught separately from civilian students. So, you know, you're in the quad, you're playing spike ball, and then there's, like, <laughs> a, you know, like a military march of the students that are, like, walking by wow. because they, had, wow. they were educated separately. Um, uh, some notable graduates of this training program, Mel Brooks, Bob Dole, <laughs> Henry Kissinger, Ed Koch, wow. Gore Vidal, and Kurt Vonnegut.
0: Wow, what a what a motley crew that is. Yeah. Jeez.
2: So go to dinner with all of them at the same time. I was like, oh my God, God could you even I, imagine? I, yeah. <laughs> um, King was one of the chemistry teachers in this program, and she recounted that uh, it was difficult to teach the military students because of the formality that was required. So imagine, you, mm. you know how to teach a class, and mm-hmm, now you have to mm-hmm. learn all the... Uh, uh, see, I don't even know what's a military. Sit, stand up. No, that's for a dog. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the, the formality of like, yeah, attention. At ease. At ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And it was like, I don't, I don't know any of this. But you know, she got through it. She helped train a lot of our, uh, of our military people. Even as one of the black first black female mathematicians to earn a degree in both math and chemistry, you may not know her because she prioritized her mentorship. She only mm. published her dissertation and her thesis. Um, uh, and she was inspiring. She's a people person, you know, typical Sagittarius. At the <laughs> end, I, I looked this up. She actually is a Sagittarius. I was like, Ooh. I don't believe in astrology, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> at the end of high school, oh, at the high school where she taught prior to West Virginia, mm-hmm. they sent out a survey to seventy-two students, and twenty-seven of them, so roughly a third of them, said that they were your their favorite teacher. So imagine, Aww. think of the high school you went to and you surveyed everyone and a third of your graduating class said, we like that one. Oh, Can you, wow. Like that's a lot, that's a lot of people. That is on. a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who did she mentor? She mentored a few people that, uh. uh Uh, A few scientists. She mentored Jasper Brown Jeffries, who worked as one of the handful of black physicists on the Manhattan Project at the Met Lab at the University of Chicago. Wow. He was one of the 70 scientists at the Met Lab to sign the Seelard Petition, which is a document written by Leo Seelard petitioning President Truman to avoid dropping the atomic bombs on Japan. Wow. She mentored Margaret James Strickland Collins, the first black female entomologist and the third black female zoologist. She studied termites. She worked at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History from the 70s to the mid-90s. Her work is pivotal in what we know about termites in some parts of the Caribbean and Florida, including the biggest termite in Florida, Marco Rubio. That's Eric's opinion. You know what I mean? That was very good. That was very good. Thank that you. Good. Thank you. Uh, she mentored Katherine Johnson. The famed NASA (gasps) Mm. mathematician, depicted in the movie *Hidden Figures*, in that survey that I mentioned, Johnson was one of the respondents who said that King was a wonderful teacher, bright, caring, and very rigorous. And this is interesting to me because when you call a teacher rigorous, but also your favorite, that's a good teacher. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, No, no, throw it. You know, you smell like cinnamon, but you also throw that book. Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And the, one of the last people she, she taught was a fellow in Michigan. In an interview King did, she referenced one of the students in the ASD, the Army Service Training Program. Mm-hmm. She said, there's a fellow in Michigan that sends me a Christmas card every year, and I enjoy knowing he hasn't forgotten about his time here. King would have been around 40 when she taught at the ASTP. She gave this interview about that man when she was 86.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Oh, my gosh. That's lovely, and that's a mathematician you should know.
0: Aww, I wish that's I knew great. her.
2: Yeah, wow, that's lovely. Yeah.
0: Aww.
2: And that's math our... teachers deserve love. For sure. Sometimes. I
1: mean. <laughs> <laughs> that was Yay, What dude. a wonderful installment of more math. That
0: was lovely. Thank you so much. And it was about so much more than math, but it was also all about math at the same time. Thank and dear. I think you framed that beautifully. Thank you, Eric.
2: Yeah, that, that's all I have.
0: So, uh, I do you have a do you have a quiz for us today? Yes, I do
2: have a quiz for you. Oh my goodness, please! Yeah. So the last quiz I did, <laughs> I said would be all things not straight, white, and male. But after a really fr- good friend texted me, he said the quiz was still pretty male. So, <laughs> so I named today's quiz after the text he sent me, which is called. Eric always forgets about the lesbians. A quiz about (laughs) queer women. (laughs) Love it. Okay. Ready? Question one. We all know of Ellen DeGeneres' favorite sitcom and the scene where she and her character came out as as lesbian on national television and became the first American sitcom with a lesbian lead. A few years earlier, though, another queer-but-not-yet-out comedian headlined her own sitcom. Name this all-American girl who donned the poodle persona on the second season of The Masked Singer. Question 2. Although not overtly gay, this movie released in 1996 is popular among queer women for having themes and aesthetics they identify with. Name this movie where the following line was uttered. He came to me. Saved me. Oh, and he wanted me to give you a message. You're in deep shit. He says you've abused what he's given you and you're gonna have to pay the price. Bonus question, name the character or actress who said that line. Question three. Cheryl Swoops is a decorated WNBA player who came out in 2005, one of the highest profile athletes on a team sport to ever do so. Her storied career includes three-time WNBA MVP, three Olympic gold medals, and the first women's basketball player to have a Nike shoe named after her, the Air Swoops. And she's also the first WNBA player to record a triple-double. Describe what a triple-double is. Question 4. It was the relationship and strength of Edie Windsor and Thea Spire that paved the way for progress. In 2013, the Supreme Court ruled in U.S. v. Windsor that the federal denial of same-sex marriages under a particular law was a violation of the Fifth Amendment, paving the way for marriage equality by becoming a central ruling in the later case Obergefell v. Hodges. Name the full federal law deemed unconstitutional or effectively unenforceable that was signed into law under President Bill Clinton in 1996. Question 5 progress is coming to Hollywood, and trans actresses are becoming more visible in film and TV. Name the actress and activist who was the first openly transgendered person to be nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award in any acting category. i tell you what show she's on, but I don't want to go to jail. Question six. I miss it when we could gather in large crowds. In fact, we all attended America's last public gathering, Geek Bowl 2020, and boy, we learned a lot. Answer the Geek Ball 2020 question. An L Word bathroom makeout sesh was inspired hotly by discussing what autobiography of red author. Question 7. I'm not gonna lie, I never thought I would live in Wisconsin, but the state has a lot to be proud of, such as cheese, ice cream, butter, and the state beverage, milk. But they're also proud of electing the first openly gay person to the US Senate. Name this politician who is the first openly LGBT woman elected to the United States Congress and the first woman to be elected to the United States Congress and Senate from Wisconsin. Question 8. Some of the oldest descriptions of love between two women come from the poetry from ancient Greece, particularly from a Greek poet who was born on the Isle of Lesbos, from which the term lesbian comes from. Name this poet whose name is not the root of the birthstone of those born in September. Question 9. Peppermint is the only drag queen to enter and compete on RuPaul's Drag Race as an openly trans woman. She placed second on season 9 after losing her lip-sync battle to Sasha Velour. Name the song they lip-sync to, which was released in 1999 and has the following lyrics. I'm gonna censor the title, which is son. Beep. I'm gonna make it anyway. Pack your bags and leave and don't you dare come running back to me. Beep. I'm gonna make it anyway, close the door behind you, leave your key, I'd rather be alone than unhappy. Question 10. The first trans woman character in a video game made her debut in 1989 beat-em-up arcade game Final Fight. In this game, some female-presenting characters were originally planned to be cis women but were changed to quote, new halves, a Japanese slang term for trans women after the game's release, due to the suggestion that hitting women would be considered rude in America. Name this groundbreaking character who gives us something to believe in.
1: We will give you about a minute to think about it and then we'll be back with your answers.
3: Some of you who have small children may have perhaps been put in the embarrassing position of being unable to do your child's arithmetic homework because of the current revolution in mathematics teaching known as the new math. So as a public service here tonight, I thought I would offer a brief lesson in the new math tonight we're going to cover subtraction. But in the new approach, as you know, the important thing is to understand what you're doing rather than to get the right answer. Here's how they do it now. You can't take three from two, two is less than three, so you look at the four in the tens place. Now that's really four tens, so you make it three tens, regroup, and you change the ten to 10 ones, and you add them to the two and get 12, and you take away three, that's nine, is that clear? Instead of four in the tens place, you've got three because you added one, that is to say ten to the two, but you can't take seven from three, so you look in the hundreds place. From the three, you then use one to make ten ones, and you know why four plus minus one plus ten is 14 minus one, because addition is commutative, right? And so you've got 13 tens, and you take away seven, and that leaves five. Well, six, actually, but... <laughs> the idea is the important thing.
0: I am heartbroken that I don't know enough about lesbians that I thought I did. I know. I was <laughs> so upset. Okay. I am upset. Now I got to read. Now I have to read some literature.
1: <laughs> I All feel right. like engineer Josh knows a lot of these. Answers I like know. Surprisingly,
0: know. engineer Josh knows a lot of these. I saw his face.
2: <laughs> okay Alright right. You ready? Okay. I think okay. Julia and versions. I can work
0: together I think we're yeah. going to be able to do it Yeah
2: Okay these are shortened versions Of the questions Question one Name the all-American girl Who donned the poodle persona On the second season Of The Masked Singer
0: I'm going to let Julia Take this one Because she is a fan Of The Masked Singer
1: I am a fan of The Masked Singer <laughs> And I feel like Josh and I are the only people We know that watch it um, <laughs> This is All-American Girl uh, Was the first um, Sitcom to star An Asian American cast, and this was Margaret Cho. Mm. Yep, mm-hmm. it
2: is Margaret Cho.
1: But it okay. met so much backlash because, like, some of the some of the writing um, kept getting changed. Like, Margaret Margaret actually didn't like everything that was written for the show, but you know yeah. she went with it. And it was a lot of like super racial like stereotypes, and like you know her mom had like a high voice that. You know, it was yep. very There's like a bad like, accent, yeah it was yeah, and it was just like super stereotypical, and like just it wasn't a funny show either, so then there was like <laughs> yeah. a whole big gap in television history where there weren't any other Asian sitcoms on t v until fresh off the boat,
2: yeah, yep, yep, great, great recap. you're a great historian
1: I love
0: t v she's <laughs> she loves t v and she's got a mind like a bear trap, so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Question two, name the 1990, uh, by the way, I went to Queer Women Halloween, and they <gasps> said, we are watching this movie. So, I'm going to give oh, you that geez. extra, that extra hint. Um, okay, name the 1996 movie where the following line was uttered. He came to me, saved me. Oh, and he wanted me to give you this message. You're in deep shit.
0: I mean, I, it sounds like vaguely familiar, but uh, shoot, I don't think I know. Julia, do you know?
1: <sighs> I'm going to, I'm going to use my lifeline.
2: <laughs> Wait, how about this? Can I, Can how about this? Set the scene. It is dark in a house with lightning.
1: Ooh.
0: Josh doesn't know. Uh. Is it a scary movie? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, then I don't think I know.
2: It stars four it, women. Four is women? It the
1: cra- is it The Craft?
2: Yes, it is The Craft.
1: <gasps> yes. Good job, Julia!
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, bonus question. Name the character or actress who said that line.
1: I'll just yeah. guess for a bulk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> It's a good guess. Uh, uh, it's Sarah, played by Robin oh, Tani. Robin Tunney.
1: Robin Tunney. No. The other one you should know from The Craft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a lesbian movie.
2: So it's so it's not. But like when I went to like this queer woman Halloween, yeah. they were like, "We're gonna watch uh, The Craft," and there we watched like this this one movie from the nineteen sixties where um, it was about this woman who uh, uh, turned into a jaguar at night. Oh wow. When she kissed a man, it was it was really funny. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I clearly don't understand any subtext of any of this. <laughs> Give me I Hocus, mean, pocus. Yeah. That's where the gaze oh, yeah. At. oh okay. There you go. Question three. Describe what a triple double is in basketball.
0: <sighs> I am not good at basketball. I'm I don't know. Julia, do you have a guess? Go ahead.
1: Well, Lauren, let's talk it out. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. Triple means
0: three. <laughs> Yes, double means <laughs> double two. Mean.
2: Great math, good
0: math. So, All right. so I'm gonna say, oh, 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 ooh. there's something called an assist, right? Where um, you pass the ball to the person who is who, who then shoots the, the ball, ball and then scores the ball. So, I'm gonna say uh, that's um, three, three, uh, three pointers and two assists. <laughs>
1: Yeah. If she's the only person to have ever done this, it's it's a really, it's a really awesome feat. She was the first one. Oh. Okay, only, the
2: first she was one the first to
1: do one. this. Um, um, yep. Yes. Uh, uh, everybody should look forward to a forthcoming episode of Misinformation <laughs> on basketball. <laughs> on basketball. <laughs>
2: I would like to tell you, I'm not hosting that one. I don't know anything. I, I went to trivia one time with um, a group of gay friends, and it was the NBA final. So it was NBA themed. We did oh. not get a single question. Oh, no. I think one of the questions was like, if you arrange the roster alphabetically, who comes first and last in the list? And oh, every God. time we just answered Vanessa Williams. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Because who oh,
1: knows? Okay. I don't know yeah, the answer. What's I a don't triple know. double?
2: So a triple, double, so there is you, out of three of the five statistical categories, points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks, you get double digits in three of them.
0: Wow. I see. Okay.
2: Yeah. So you're pretty much
0: That's a lot. It's a lot of points. Yeah, that's a big deal.
2: That's a lot of sports to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Question four: Name the full federal law deemed unconstitutional or effectively unenforceable by U.S. v. Windsor and was signed into law under President Bill Clinton in 1996.
0: Um, I mean the only the only thing I can remember is Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but that specifically has to do with the military. I feel. And then the only other one that I remember that was involved in the um, gay marriage to, like thing was Proposition Eight, but I think that was California, California. only. So those are my only two things that I wrote down.
1: (laughs) So do you have anything, Julia? What's Engineer Josh have to say? He says, the Defense of Marriage Act. The Defense of Marriage Act. Yay!
0: Good job, Josh. He's our politics boy.
2: (laughs) Question five. Name the actress and activist who is the first openly transgendered person to be nominated for a primetime Emmy Award in any acting category.
1: I think that's Laverne Cox.
2: Yep, and Cox, indeed. So beautiful. Um, oh my god. Also uh pose on Netflix, also headlining very great trans women actresses that should have been nominated. Just mm-hmm, FYI.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Agreed, agreed.
2: Okay. Question six Geek Bull 2020 question. An L word bathroom makeout sesh was inspired by hotly discussing what autobiography of Red Author.
0: Julia, do you remember? Because I do I not think remember the first at all. is Anne.
1: But I oh. am not. I got nothing on the last name i don't remember I th- i'm pretty sure we did not get it correct we didn't get it
2: right
0: no we
1: were yeah, like we have never heard right. this person
2: we didn't and then uh, uh we looked around i was like is anyone at this table like like super lesbian and it's like nope <laughs> no nope. uh-uh. let's like, try to look for them um <laughs> y- you did get it right Julie. it's Anne. her last name is carson
1: Anne Ann carson, Ann carson. Yeah. all right yeah. but, we will yeah, we remember that now part. autobiography of
2: red we have to we have to have to okay Question seven. Name the Wisconsin politician who is the first openly LGBT woman elected to the U.S. Congress and the first woman elected to the U.S. Congress and Senate from Wisconsin.
0: I don't know. Do you know, Jewel? I don't know either. No, I don't. I'm sorry. That's
2: okay. Her name is Tammy Baldwin.
1: Oh, Tammy see, Baldwin. I had Tammy. I had Tammy in my head. Yeah. But I wasn't sure what the last name was. I huh.
2: live... Um, two or three blocks from where she used to live when she used to work here in Madison.
1: Oh, cool. wow. nice connection. Yeah. Nice yeah, it
2: connection. was pretty fun. Someone like me and my friend were like walking, like turning me around Madison. And I was like, Oh, that's the lesbian house. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> that's Tommy Baldwin's house. I was like, Oh, okay. Don't, don't. <laughs> good, good to know. <laughs> Question eight. Name this poet from Lesbos who is, whose name is not the root of the birthstone of those born in September.
0: Uh that would be Sappho. Yep.
2: Yeah. Mhm. And uh sapphire which is the birthstone does not come from the word Sappho. It's two mm-hmm. different things. Yeah. Okay. Question 9. Name the song sung by Peppermint, lip-synced by Peppermint and Sasha Velour. Song from 1999. Bleep. I'm going to make it anyway. Pack your bags and leave and don't you dare come running back to me. Bleep. I'm going to make it anyway. Close the door behind you. Leave your key. I'd rather be alone than unhappy.
0: I'd rather Be alone than unhappy. Um, hold on. I'll think of it because I, I know it in my head. Let me just sing it. Just everyone shut up and let me <laughs> sing it.
1: Okay. Um, uh. She's like doing runs with her hands right now. Everybody. It's
2: quite the process. It's like a spelling bee.
1: Do you, do you have an idea? I'm not right, but it's okay. But it's okay. And yeah, that it's it's yep.
2: not right, but it's, it's okay not okay right. But Houston. it's okay.
0: Yes, <laughs> one of my favorite that album I listened to top to bottom, left to right when it came out. So good.
2: Great uh, on CD, I would assume.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Come on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was playing a uh, uh, Quiplash with a group of friends, and someone asked what a CD tower was. <gasps>
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry. You're too young to hang I'm out. I'm sorry.
2: We, yeah, we can't. We can't be friends. Hello, Sarah. Uh, question <laughs> 10. Name the first trans woman to be featured in the 1989 arcade game Final Fight who gives us something to believe in.
0: Do you know, Josh? I do not know this. Josh wrote something down.
1: Josh says poison.
2: Poison. Also the band who sung the song Something to Believe in. Yep, oh, nice. It is Poison.
1: Yay! Good job, Josh. This timing is ironic because I just started working on the LGBTQ um, video game archive collection at the Strong National Museum of Play here in Rochester, New York. Um, (laughs) Adrian Shaw, who's an academic out of Philadelphia, um, they've been working on this project for the last couple of years. And there's a really great website that people can check out that's LGBTQ Game Archive. Um, And so they're documenting um all of these different characters throughout video game history that you know people might not necessarily know about and i'm positive that poison is in there it is one of them and i just haven't i just haven't gotten there yet (laughs) yeah that's Mm -hmm. cool
0: yeah keep an eye out for that everybody Eric, thank you so much. This was a wonderful episode. We learned episode. so much. We learned so much and not just about math, but just math related things that now I have even more
1: of an appreciation of I math. I got to tell you, I'm really what I'm really taking away from this is is Descartes' robot daughter. I mean,
0: yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to dream about it tonight. It's going <laughs> to it's going to haunt my mind. It's so good. That's up there that that like historical anecdote is definitely oh. up there with Kakashka's weird sex doll a hundred percent
1: and, and so. the guy with the tiny underpants that's your other favorite yes mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah yeah james joyce yeah he loved the tiny underpants um thank you so much eric you are always welcome to come on the show whenever you want to just drop in you know give oh. us a call on skype we'll be around
2: joyful <laughs> 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 one yeah. of us is around yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah one of us is around what are we doing <laughs> Um, and thanks everyone for listening thank you again Eric thanks Thanks, Julia thanks Josh I'm just going to thank everybody for just being you Uh, thank you PBR hard coffee yeah thank you PBR (laughs) hard coffee you've kept us through this fall Um, so thanks so much for listening guys we'll catch
3: you next time bye Bye